In case you weren't here last week, we started a new um, sermon series on the book of Habakkuk. Uh, The setting of that book finds Habakkuk watching the Chaldeans um, or the Babylonians marching in to conquer Judah. A lot like, you know, we kind of likened it to Ukraine right now, watching Russia come in invading. Habakkuk uh, twice complains to God about the injustice that he sees watching um, unfold before him. And God replies to both of his complaints. Last week, we looked at the first complaint, um, and we saw God's reply to Habakkuk. This morning, we see Habakkuk's response to God's response to Habakkuk's complaint. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 12 as we read Habakkuk's second complaint. He begins by asking a series of questions. He says this, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them... He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up and is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own people's. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own? For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on inequity. 
Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water, as the waters cover the seas. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drink in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's an overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you for having the wisdom, the insight to have, uh, to have your message written plainly on tablets so that we know how we can be pleasing to you. We're not wandering around aimlessly, wondering who you are and what you expect from us. You've given us your word. So Lord, please speak plainly to us or clearly because we are so often um, hard of hearing. So Lord, may we hear from you today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So here in the second complaint, we, we find Habakkuk still struggling to reconcile his theology of God with the word of God. I mean, how does God ordain Babylon to bring judgment and punish Judah for its sins against God without going against God's own standard of judgment? How can Habakkuk reconcile this theological paradox? Habakkuk is being tested to his very core about every single thing that he believed about God. Have you been there before? Have you ever looked at the creator God who is good, sovereign, and wise, and just struggled to put all these pieces together, asking the why, Lord, or when, Lord? That's where we find Habakkuk in this second complaint. He begins in verse 12 to ask God a series of questions. Each question is directly tied to God's character. He says in verse 12, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. O you, O rock, have established them for reproof. We see Habakkuk using the personal name of God, Yahweh. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. When you see the Lord in all caps, like maybe you have in your Bible, that's the unique personal name of God. That's Yahweh. It's like Habakkuk's trying to remind God of the promises that he's made to his chosen people. Now, this could be like if you saw a pastor getting ready to do something that he shouldn't be doing. And you might say, hey, pastor, 
What you doing there? That title pastor should remind him of his character. That's what Habakkuk is doing when he says, Yahweh, O Lord. He's saying, we're your chosen people. You've made promises to us to look after us, to care for us. How can you just forget about us when we need you most? Yahweh. We're the children of Abraham, of Isaac, Jacob. We have a covenant with each other. This agreement, this partnership. Where are you? He's trying to come to grips with the situation, but he's still struggling. He continues in verse 13. You, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you either look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. He's basically saying, I get it, but. And so he's, he's complaining. Is it, is it ever okay to argue and complain to God? I, I think it truly depends on your heart, your intentions, your tone, your posture. It's like when you complain to your spouse, which I never have to do that. It's her making complaints about me and, and, and my lifestyles. But for those else who have complaints to bring to your spouse, are you complaining, coming at them, like this is the final word, like take it or leave it? Or are you offering a complaint being ready to consider their reply? There's a difference there. I think that's what Habakkuk is doing right now. He, we, I think he's, he's bringing his complaint, but, he, but he's listening. Um, he, he's, he's got a tone about him where he's considering God's reply. We, we often see the psalmist complaining to God. When you read the psalms, there's often this, this complaint of, why, Lord? But usually by the end of the psalm, the, the, the tone is, your will be done. Um, suffering is when your theology will be put to the greatest test. Habakkuk asks, why do you idly look at traitors, remain silent when wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? It's important to remember that God may use corrupt kingdoms, but God does not endorse them. All nations are accountable to God's justice. All nations will fall, and this includes Babylon. But at this point, this kind of thinking is still too high for Habakkuk. All he sees is the here and now, just what's in front of him. He's struggling to see the wicked Chaldeans marching in and plundering Judah. Habakkuk has reminded God about his covenant. And then in verse 14, he's appealing to God's promise all the way back in um, creation at the beginning. He says in verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. See, he's going back to creation. He's saying, God, don't you remember what you said about mankind? Mankind's different. God originally created people in his own image, in his own likeness. No other part of creation had this description. Man was the pinnacle of all of creation. 
But now he metaphorically degrades them into lesser creatures. We're like fish. We're, we're like crawling, creeping things. Habakkuk is saying to God that he has degraded mankind in such a way that we look like dumb, expendable fish being trapped in a net. It's like the fisherman pulls out his net full of fish. You're all flopping, and the fish just look over. And you're like, oh, man, he got you too? Yeah, I was just chasing this shiny thing, enjoying my day, and next thing I know, couldn't move anymore. Yep, same here. It's like net after net after net, the Babylonians are just capturing towns, plundering villages. They're taking over countries like fish in a net. And then this concludes Habakkuk's second complaint. If I was going to summarize his complaint, this would be like my message version of this section. He says, after all you've said that you would do for us, not only were we created in your image, but we were your pick. Out of all the countries, out of all the nations, you chose us. We were a team. And when we needed you the most, you've gone off and left us. But not just left us, you've treated us like dumb fish in a net at the expense of the wicked Chaldeans. We're like fish in a barrel at their exposure. That's basically what he's saying. Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk now tells God his next steps. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Notice that Habakkuk doesn't quit on God. He doesn't quit on God when God's plan, when they just don't make sense to him. He doesn't bail out on God, but rather he waits for God to show up. Verse 1 has this feeling like Habakkuk has said that all that he's needed to say to God, and now he's just going to sit back and wait to see what would happen. You ever had one of those conversations? Maybe not with God, maybe with someone else. You say, listen, I'm, I'm just really upset right now. I just need to get some things off my chest. You've had those conversations before? That's what it seems like he's doing. And now he's waiting for God's response. Um, I came across this quote this week in my study. Um, the late pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when wrestling with personal suffering, um, he said this, the moment I become really concerned about the state of my soul, instead of my affliction, I am on the high road to God's blessing. I, I love that. Let me say that again. The moment I become really concerned about the state of my soul, instead of my affliction, I am on the high road to God's blessings. Habakkuk stations himself on the tower. The tower was a place of watching and waiting. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord says to the prophet, Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. So the responsibility of the watchman was to warn God's people whenever the Lord would warn him. Far too often we give up on God's answers to our problems because we are 
We are too often impatient. We just move on. We complain. Where are you, God? I'm done. We don't station ourselves. We don't remain steadfast. We want to know now. But God's answer is always worth the wait. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So Habakkuk is waiting on the Lord in verse 2. And the Lord answers. And the Lord answered me. Notice there is no measurement of time in between verse 1 and verse 2. Did you see that? Was Habakkuk standing on the wall for one eight-hour shift? Did he pull a double? Maybe he was on the wall all week. Maybe he watched and waited for a few months. Maybe even a year. We don't know. We don't have any idea how long it took between Habakkuk's complaint at the end of chapter 1 to God's reply in chapter 2. God's response is not based on our terms, but on his. He doesn't respond according to human timetables, but rather to his own sovereign timetable. We are so used to instant everything, aren't we? Instant information, news, instant web browsing. Man, one of the most sanctifying tools would be for us all to go back to dial-up internet. Man, that little, that little noise it would make. How frustrating it would be when it wouldn't connect. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> we want things now. I mean, think about it. There's no generation in human history that has ever had things so quick as us. I mean, just think about traveling. It took the Mayflower 66 days to cross the Atlantic. 66 days on a boat. You left England on New Year's Day, heading to America, 66 days later, so March 13th, you've been in America for about a week if you've left on January 1st. Today, it takes about seven hours to fly from England to Boston. Seven hours. Seven hours, if that's still too slow for you because you're really impatient, you could always take the SR-71. This is the fastest jet in the world today. The SR-71 is so fast, if you and your friend began the Fellowship of the Ring, theatrical version, not the epic, take your, up, up your whole day extended version, you could start the movie, fly around the entire world, be back in time to watch the final hour and four minutes. Now, does that say the movie's long or that the jet's fast? Maybe both. <laughs> you can fly around the world in an hour and 54 minutes on this jet. That's insane. We love instant. We want things now. But this is not the way Yahweh often works. He requires faith and patience in walking with him. There are very few instant solutions to the challenging realities of life. 
amazing how so many people, like, they have problems. They want counsel now. Like, let's just slow down. You didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. I don't have any pill to give you. Things often do not go the way we plan. Things often do not go um, or happen as fast as we want. Just like the prophet Habakkuk, we must learn to grow in patience. We need to slow down. We need to trust that the Lord will give us an answer in his time. And here's what I know about God's timing. God is rarely early, isn't he? Come on, God, show up. Not, not yet. God's rarely early. He's never late, but he's always on time. So we don't know how long it took God to answer Habakkuk, but the point we need to understand is that God answered. He shows up. The Lord answered me, says Habakkuk. God says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So the Lord instructs Habakkuk to write something. He wants him to write this vision. He's told to make it plain or legible on tablets. Now, writing something plainly or legibly would disqualify me from this task. If something... um, was up to me to be written legibly so that it could be shared or preserved for the salvation of future generations, all mankind would be in a world of mess. And here's what God gave me. What does it say? I have no idea. I'm not quite sure. What is this? Also note here that this tablet is probably made of clay. This might not be like the tablet you might be thinking of, okay? This is a different type of tablet. God is not saying, hey, Habakkuk, take out your Apple pencil and write on your tablet the vision. Habakkuk, the millennial, would reply, Lord, you want me to to write? Like, actually use my hands? Can't you just airdrop that thing to me? We see that when this vision is read, that it leads people to run. This means that the message is really important. Someone would read it, and they would run to tell the next person. This vision contained a message that needed to be spread fast. So what was the message? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. So he's saying, write it down, but not, it's not going to quite be unfolded yet. It, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So here comes the message. Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God says, behold, if I were to write on a tablet, this would be all caps, behold, italicized, underlined, maybe even changing it to red text. Behold, there's two ways to live. That's what verse four is about. The first way is to live with your soul puffed up not upright. This man is putting his trust in himself. And this way of living leads to death. On the other hand, the righteous, they will live by faith. This man trusts in the Lord, not in himself. And this way of living leads to life. The first way describes the Babylonians who are characterized by their pride, 
lack of integrity. They were full of arrogance. They had no humility. All they cared about was whatever was best for them, and this pride would ultimately lead to their downfall. But the righteous, the righteous shall live by his faith. Faith precedes understanding, not the other way around. We must trust the Lord even when we do not understand everything. The Lord is testing Habakkuk's trust in him. Verse 4 is probably the most famous verse in all of Habakkuk. Um, it's quoted three times in the New Testament, Romans 1, 17, Galatians 3, 11, Hebrews 10, 38. Um, in Romans 1, Paul quotes Habakkuk 2, 4, showing the saving power of the gospel. Romans 1, 16, 17, many of you know this, um, these verses. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul uses Habakkuk 2.4 as this biblical foundation for the gospel. The foundation for righteousness is genuine faith. It's not good works. It's not the law. The righteous are those who trust God's righteousness and not their own righteousness. So the righteous will lean not on their own understanding, but they will put their trust, their belief, their faith in the Lord. The Babylonians, though, they're, they're too prideful um, to humble themselves, to trust in the Lord. So their way of living will lead to death. We see this unfold in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own uh, all peoples. Habakkuk had struggled seeing these wicked people coming in to conquer the Israelites. But here, Habakkuk learns that there will be a judgment for the Babylonians. For the, Babylonians. Um, the Persians come in and conquer uh, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians in 539 BC. Their empire does fall. The Babylonians do not get off the hook. The rest of chapter 2, we see some judgments. These judgments are written in Five woes. Uh, a woe is this, um, it's a judgment describing pain or displeasure. Um, as Habakkuk is plainly writing these woes on tablets, he is assured that God will hold the Babylonians accountable for all their sins as a nation. They will fall. They're going to be overwhelmed by the same violence which, which they've overwhelmed the other nations. So at some point, the tables turn. Babylon will receive what it deserves because God is just. Nothing goes unseen. Nothing goes unturned. Those five walls begin in verse 6. Verse 6, verse six says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles, for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who make you tremble, 
then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence of the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. These woes, they begin, we see here with this, with taunts and scoffing and riddles. Uh, another way to think about um, um, these taunts, scoffing, and riddles, it's, it's another way of saying trash talk. There's a lot of trash talk before Babylon falls. This is the bully finally getting his own. That's what's happening here. Um, in case you didn't know, I'm actually in the Hall of Fame for trash talking. I love, I think it's so much fun to talk trash, to taunt, to scoff. I just wish my athletic skills were as good as my trash talking. You have to be careful today talking trash. It's not like, you know, when I grew up in the 80s, you know, it's, everybody's so sensitive today. Playing Little League in the 80s is much different than playing Little League today. You know, when we were kids, we'd be, you know, in the field yelling at the batter. You know, no batter, no batter. You know, my, my, my friend would get the bat and I would say, easy out. Or outfield scoot in. Just talking trash, taunting him, right? You know, you're in the dugout and the pitcher's having a rough game. It might be your neighbor and you're making fun of him. Going, ah, you know, he's leaving the game. You're like, na, 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 You know, get him out of the game. Taunt scoff, mock, we'd ridicule the opponent. We said things then that if I heard my team or kids shouting today at other kids, I would pull them from the game. It's just different. These woes, they're a picture of the bully Babylon just finally getting punched in the face. This is Johnny Lawrence, the epitome of the 80s bad guy taking the crane kick to the face. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Babylon the bully will fall. The second woe is found in verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the word work respond. This woe is financial injustice. This could be carried out through steep, overbearing taxation. Now, taxes can be a good thing, but these taxes are so steep and unfair that we see here that inanimate objects are crying out. So woe to him. Verse 12, we see the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people label, labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now all conquests see bloodshed. But it seems like this woe was against the Chaldeans being Ruthless, and they were like killing for sport. God says, woe to them. Verse 15, we see the fourth woe. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink 
You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself, show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will over, overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts its own creation when he makes speechless idols. We see that the wicked not only engage in perversion here, but they lead others into doing the same very thing. Because Babylon is, they're, they're puffed up, they're arrogant, they're restless, greedy. God reverses the fortunes of Babylon. Like Nineveh, Babylon will become a shadow of its former self. What Babylon had done to others, now we see being done to them. Final woe is found in verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Babylonians were known for their worship of the god Morduk. But Habakkuk exposes the reality of idols and idol worship. Idols, including their god Marduk, are just some um, of the things made by, made by hands. They're just creation. And, and, and so, you know, why would you bow down and worship them? Idols represent gods that do not exist. They're just fake. They're nothing more than a fantasy. They are not alive. There's no breath at all in it. Then in verse 20, the prophet contrasts the vanity of idols with the awesome presence of God. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. No matter what suffering you're going through, we need to understand that God is on his throne in his temple. He is reigning over the universe that he created. He is sovereign over all things. God is in control even when everyone and everything else seems out of control. So instead of complaining and grumbling about your situation, maybe try just sitting in silence, coming in reverence before his holy presence. The Lord's presence in his temple means that he has not turned his back on his people. He is there. His apparent silence should not be mistaken for abandonment. As we saw in verse 3, God will fulfill his purpose at the point of time. There's a picture in this passage where God speaks and you and I just need to be quiet and listen. This entire passage is about how God's glory will last and your glory will not. See, Habakkuk is looking out and thinking that Babylon, the Chaldeans, are, that their glory is going to last forever. God's saying, just, just be patient. Their time's coming. It may not look fair to you right now, 
but it's coming. Sin will be punished, which is essential if we're going to understand the gospel. You might be thinking, well, where do we see the gospel in these verses? All I see are these five woes. But do you, but do you see how a passage like this is actually preparing us um, to understand what the gospel is all about? What does Habakkuk 2 teach us? It teaches us that sin deserves to be mocked. Sin deserves to be ridiculed. Sin deserves to be shamed. Now, please hear me. It's it's, it's not in our hands to execute this. But this is what sin deserves. Sin deserves death. And if you don't agree with that, then you really don't understand what happened to Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus was taunted. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. Just like how we read the, you know, those five woes would be carried out. Taunted, mocked, ridiculed. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus was taunted, mocked. People saying, no batter, no batter. He can't hit it. They twisted a crown of thorns, spat upon him. The woes that should have been upon us for our sin, we see in the Lord Jesus exactly what sin deserves, and Jesus took it upon himself. He died so that you and I might live. He took the woes. He took the wrath of his father so that you and I would not have to receive it. And those who put their trust into that gospel message, we see here that we become righteous and the righteous shall live by faith, not by sight. When you see the enemy coming in, coming over you, does it make sense? The righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray as the band comes back. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking the, the taunts, the mockery, the ridicule that we should have received. All the punishment for sin that should have been poured upon us. You took on yourself. Father, we thank you for this gospel message. Father, I pray that we would trust you, that we would believe, we would have faith in that message. And because of that, we are now righteous and that we would live by faith. Lord, help us to look at you as the rock, as Yahweh, our personal God, our Savior, our Redeemer and friend. 
And that when things don't look good for us, we may remember what you have done for us, that everything turns out for our good. Doesn't mean all the suffering that we will see will be removed, but that it will be handled in, uh, in your timing. So Lord, help us to stand fast. Help us to stand on the rock. The rock will not be moved. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.